0: Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. How'd you guys sleep? Right. Good. I slept on my side, but uh, I'm glad you guys slept well too. Uh, Before we get started this morning, I want to go to prayer. There's a Kind of something that happens with people like me and with people like you, and I say people like you and people like me, what we have in common is I still have the attention span of a fifth through eighth grader. That's just the way it is. Um, I don't know if it's always Satan. I would hate to give him credit for stuff he doesn't do because he's not omnipresent. He does He's not everywhere. I mean, he can only be in one place at a time, so usually Washington, D.C., but other places too. He goes other places too, who makes sure his presence is felt, but um, sometimes we give him credit. And we're like, Satan's distracted. gets everything. Really, let's just be honest. Most of the time, it's just us. We get distracted. Our flesh distracts us. Our sin nature distracts us. Yeah, is Satan excited about that? Probably. I'm pretty sure. But when it comes to looking in God's Word, when it comes to hearing what God has for us, uh, those distractions become part of an intense spiritual battle. And when we read in Scripture about angels and demons kind of eternally battling it out and God having this, this war for you that he won on the cross, that he, he already declared the victory and everything. For us to fight un, unintentionally, to fight for the other side by being distracted, is kind of like counterintuitive to winning a war. You know what I mean? So that, like, that's not good. So let's just pray right now um, for distractions to go away, for us to not notice and for us to have like laser focus just for the next about 25 minutes that God would give us that laser focus that we could have um, that you could easily do watching one episode of Teen Titans Go for, or SpongeBob or something for the same amount of time. You know what I mean? So like, if God can do that so that if he wants to say something to us that we're not just aware of it but ready to receive it. So would you pray with me? And I, I don't mean like listen to my prayer. I'm just going to happen to pray so you know when we're done. But ask God while we're doing this. To eliminate distractions for you, whatever that is, like for me currently in my AD, whatever I've got, <laughs> there's a lot of fog around me, <laughs> and I'm like, this is kind of distracting. But anyways, but it's gonna, it's, I can still see some of you. Let's pray, God, I thank you so much for this morning, Lord, for the chance that we've got to come in and look at Your Word. There are many, many, many places in this world where there, this is illegal, where you could never go to a camp like this. Um, without doing it completely off the grid in order to talk about Jesus, Lord. So we don't take that for granted, and we pray that the distractions that we might have um, that are of our own making, that are of the enemies, that are just our our sinful nature, wanting to uh, push back anything you might would say to us, because it might require some change in our part, God, I pray that those things would be shut out of our mind. You tell us to take every thought captive, And so every time something comes into our mind today that's not of what you're trying to do right now, God, I pray that we would just lock it up and we wouldn't let it out until after this is over, actually until after small groups are over, God, because I believe you still want to speak to us and through us as we um, get together and talk about what you're doing in our midst. Lord, I pray for the heart of every student here and every leader here. Lord, there's nobody here too old to learn, including myself Uh, about what you want for us next, what you're going to do in our lives next, God. And as we continue into this theme about one family, Lord, I pray that we would grasp the gravity and the magnitude of what it means to be a part of the royal family, the royal family of heaven, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we last left, laugh, less, laugh, what in the world? Last left, last left, last left, got it. Okay, when we last left our I wouldn't say heroes, but our story people, Hosea and his wife, Gomer, um, she was starting to cheat on them, and she was starting to, uh, to have kids with other people, and here, Hosea's still going to raise those kids. That's stinking huge, if you think about that. But In my family, my wife's family, my, uh, which is my family too now, um, way before I met her, my brother-in-law was in the Marines, and his wife cheated on him while he was gone and had a kid that obviously wasn't his kid because there's a different skin tone. And um, like, instead of leaving, he forgave her and stayed with her. And they even put his name, the father on the birth certificate. He was like, no, let's just forget anything ever happened. This is my child. It's a huge picture of Hosea to me that I actually saw lived out. He had a choice there. God didn't give Hosea a choice. So that's the weird thing about this. I wonder like what he thought every day about this object lesson that he was just thrust into. And this part we're going to read in chapter two, because I told you we're going through the three chapters this week, this weekend. Uh, The part we're going to read in chapter two is not so much about Gomer as it is about Israel, the country. All right, so when it's saying some of the things that God's gonna do, he's not giving advice to Hosea on how to, how to, you know, interact with his wife. He's saying what we deserve. So I want you to hear that. Not just hear Israel, but hear you, hear me. That God's saying when we stray from what he called us to, he set us free from sin through his death on the cross. And because he set us free from sin, We don't have to go back to it. He gave us that freedom. He gave us this entrance to the family. But as we're going to talk today, we returned. We returned back to where we were before. And one of the verses you're going to kind of dissect a little bit later. I hate to say dissect. We're about to talk about vomit. But anyways, that's like looking through it. Ooh, I remember eating that. Uh, There's a verse you're going to look at in your small groups from Proverbs. It says that um, sometimes I'm going to paraphrase here. Sometimes we go back to our sin like a dog goes back to his vomit, like he forgot that like whatever he ate upset his stomach, and he's going to try it again. Maybe now that it's covered in bile, it will be better. I've literally seen my dog throw up and eat the same thing three times. Then I stepped in and was like, you're an idiot, come in the house, and and took her back in. I I probably should have stopped her after one, but I was kind of curious because the Bible's always true. And she kept returning to her vomit. I was like, oh, you're proving the Bible there. Where's an atheist when you need one? Let me prove this verse of the Bible to you. Do it, eat it, see? <laughs> you know, but we do the same thing. And this is what this, this um, chapter is about. And there's some, kind of, there's some kind of stuff in here that might make you snicker or laugh because you're in middle school and I get it. And you're like, oh, I didn't know that word was with the Bible. Well, it is, um, that's okay. I didn't edit it out or paraphrase it because I think we're mature enough to handle it. Um, But he's not talking about an actual woman. He's talking about the nation of Israel. And in turn, it's still applicable to us today. So he's talking about us. Okay, so when he says certain things about her, it's not just talking about Gomer. It's talking about the nation as a whole. So let's go. All right, we had just finished off with the first verse in chapter 2 that said, it's not up there this time, but it says, "My." Save your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. He's talking about eventually there'll be some restoration here. Then it says, talking about that ones who actually fell into sin, rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. God is talking about what we actually deserve here, because as we get further into Hosea, we're going to see that this is not the way it ends up, but it's the way it should have ended up. If Jesus didn't come and die for us, we'd be in a world of hurt. We'd all be our own God, we'd be in charge of our own life, and some of us try that anyway, and it doesn't work very well. And then reality sets in and reminds us that, hey, I'm not really in control of all this. When somebody, there's a, um, I have a friend that I work with, her 13-year-old cousin got diagnosed a week ago with a brain tumor the size of a golf ball. When that kind of moment hits you as a family, A 13-year-old, that's a lot of your ages in here. When that kind of thing hits you as a family, when you're just happy-go-lucky, nothing seemed to be wrong or anything, she just had a couple headaches and went into the doctor and they knew something was wrong when they started testing her, when that kind of thing hits, you realize, wait a minute, I'm not good at running everything. I can't even control the health of my own body. This is a family that's like health nuts and exercises and stuff. I mean, there's crazy, crazy stuff that can happen in our life that remind us we're not really in charge. And what we actually deserve is separation from God. And God's giving this very vividly here. He's given us a vivid picture of what we actually deserve. So he says, rebuke your mother, rebuke her. She is not my wife. I'm not her husband. Let her remove that adulterous look from her face. I don't know what an adulterous look is, but uh, it's probably like, hey, big boy. I don't know. Like, it's got one of those, mm, and, or she's like winking or whatever. I just spit right there. I'm glad it didn't hit you. Uh, but like, they, I mean, an adulterous look from her face. She's got this subtle come hither look, all right? He says, let her remove that from her face and unfaithfulness from between her breasts. I told you this could be words you're probably like, the Bible. It's all through Song of Solomon, too. Anyways, he's just saying, look, she is not doing the right things right now. And then what he says of this is not a recipe. This next verse is not a recipe for Hosea to do to her because it would be like spousal abuse. But he's saying this, all the blessings, all the things I've clothed you in and blessed you, this is what you actually deserve. So God says this about the nation. Otherwise, if she doesn't do that, she didn't get that that look off your face. You know, if she doesn't get that look off of her face, I will strip her naked and make her as bare as the day she was born. In other words, she won't have the blessing she has. I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land. That's another reason we know it's not talking about the actual lady, because you can't turn a lady into a parched land. Right? You just can't do it. All right? She's not a land. Anyways. And slay her with thirst. I will show my love to her children because they, excuse me, I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers. And here, this is not talking about other people like Gomer is for the object lesson. This is talking about them running after false gods, of having those false gods right in their home and worshiping those false gods and doing all those things that the nations around them were doing. She had said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water. In other words, they provide for me. He's like, oh, if they provide for you, then give me back what I gave you, all right? Um, My wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers, but will not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. In other words, when those... When the moments get so bad, when God's hand of protection and blessing is off of Israel and they run to their gods for help, they'll find that their gods do not respond well. When you carved your own god and then you ask your god for help, that's called crazy. All right? Like, I made this out of (laughs) Play-Doh. He's my creator. No, you're his Anyways, it's just crazy talk. He's like, you're going to go after your gods. They're not going to be able to do anything for you. She'll look for them and not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, the oil who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. I mean, this is the ultimate slap in the face to God, by the way. He had prospered Israel. They had had everything they wanted, and they took some of the things God had provided, and they made idols out of it. They coated idols with gold and silver. They laid gold before false gods and stuff, and that's what God gave them. It'd be like if you gave a present to your best friend, and they didn't really like it, So they gave it to your mortal enemy. (laughs) You're like, your mortal enemies like over on a hoverboard over there that you spent a lot of money for your best friend. And they like come by and you're like, oh, my best friend has one of those. Not anymore, Gave it to me. Now look at me, you bought my hoverboard. And you'd be like, "Ugh." They were taking the blessings of God and giving it to false gods. So he says, I will take back My wool and linen intended to cover her naked body. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed feasts. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were to pay from from her lovers. I will make them a thicket and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the day she burned incense to the baals. That's a type of false god. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but she for, it was me that she forgot, declares the Lord. If this was the only part of the passage that we read all weekend, this would be the most like doom and gloom message ever. We'd be like... The Lord is angry, America. You know, like, I mean, like, he is, oh, you're in for it now. You know what you did. He provided you with all your stuff. You didn't put anything in the offering plate. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, you downloaded a game with it, didn't you? With the Lord's money. The Lord's, that app that was $1.99, that was the Lord's money. Anybody, I mean, like, if if we did that, and therefore, ever, your shoes are going to wear out. There's new shoes you got, your love, they're going to wear out today. You're going to step in a mud puddle and then God's going to make sure this, I mean, you'd be like, this is the weirdest message. Now, if this was all of it, we'd be like, wow, God is angry. But God brings up his anger at sin on purpose because when we really get a picture of what he thinks about sin, we get a better picture of what his love is. Because it's one thing to reach out to people that are doing the things you like or the people that you actually care about. It is another thing entirely to reach out to people who are like enemies of you, who are terrible towards you. That's, what God is, that's who God is reaching out to. We've done things that should make him drive us off into the wilderness, that should make us separated from him for eternity, yet he still, knowing who we were, died for us. The next part of the story that we'll look at tonight is a lot more positive than that, but this part reminds me of a story in the New Testament. Because we're talking about this adulterous lady, this lady who had uh, just cheated on her husband over and over again. And you wonder, okay, well, this is what God says they deserve, but what, how would God really act towards somebody like that face-to-face? Not through Hosea, like, Hosea, love her anyway. I don't want to. Like, what if Jesus just runs into somebody like this? And Jesus actually does in John chapter four. He runs into somebody almost exactly like this. She's been married multiple times like almost like a Hollywood star today. Like five times, now she's living with somebody she's not married to. She's been into this over and over again. And in John chapter four, it says, now he had to go through Samaria. Now, first of all, Jews didn't have to go through Samaria. They went around it normally, but he says have to because he had a job to do, and this was part of it. So he had to go through Samaria. They hated Samaritans. The Jews had been told not to marry people way after the Hosea thing, um, reiterated with God, Don't marry people who worship false gods because then your kids are going to learn about the true God and the false God. They're going to be confused. They might grow up and not really worship God. Don't do it. Some of the Israelites didn't listen. They married people who had false gods. They moved all this stuff in. They got China, not from made in China, but dishes and stuff for their wedding registry. Oh yeah, bail. (laughs) That was on our wedding registry from Target. Remember, get us a few idols. you know. And all this stuff would come into their house and it messed them up. Their kids, the offspring of these unions, were called Samaritans, and nobody wanted anything to do with them. They were unclean, and, they, and they, were, they were even so far, like, they were so prejudiced against the Samaritans, they would go around their towns. So it says he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sichar near the plot of ground that Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, have you heard of him before, that he had dug a well for, that he had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman used to go to draw water in the early morning or late at night because it was cooler because it's the Middle East. There's a lady there at noon. Remember, she's got a bad reputation. She's been married multiple times. She's probably there at noon so that people won't laugh at her, so people won't talk about her, so people won't be whispering behind her back. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. She's like, whoa, whoa, this is the first dude that's ever talked to me in public who's not another Samaritan guy who just wants to get with me, you know? This is a Jewish guy talking to me doesn't he? Maybe he's blind. Hello. You know, I, I'm a Samaritan woman. You're a Jewish male. Like, why is this conversation even happening? And Jesus answers her and says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. That intrigues her. Because, one, he said he didn't have any water. <laughs> like, can I have some water? And then she's like, uh, Are we even supposed to be talking? And he's like, Oh, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for my special water. She's like, what? Your special water? Like, what what are you talking? What water do you have? So she says, sir, you have nothing to draw with. He's obviously holding nothing. You have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well, drinking from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? And then Jesus answers, everyone who drinks, probably walked over the well and pointed at it. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. That's true. I had water earlier and I'm thirsty again. All right, there's a little, it's not even a real good object lesson. It's just true. My mouth's starting to get a little parky, all right? I've got some water there, but I don't, I know our attention spans are low, and if I take a sip, I'll lose everybody. Anyway, so I'll just, I'll just go right through it. Anyways, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Again, he's holding nothing, Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Could you imagine? You never get parched. Not because you just have a real spittle filled mouth, but you just like, it's always you're like, oh, I could use a little mm, mm, refreshing. You know, what did you just throw up in your mouth a little? I have a water fountain springing up within me. I shall never thirst. People are like, are you crazy. So Jesus tells her this. And the woman says, sir, she's really intrigued now because remember, because she does not want people to hear them, she didn't want to hear people talking about her, she has to come in the Middle East in the middle of the day and carry a heavy water pot to get the stuff she needs for her house. Now, this is intriguing. Are you telling me if I get this special water, living water, I'll don't, I won't have to come here anymore? That's pretty cool. So she just, she bites, she takes the bait She says, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So he told her, because he's getting ready, she doesn't get, he's talking about something spiritual and not physical water. He's not like, oh, Fiji water. You know, it's nothing like you've seen before. It's like, wow, that's just like Aquafina, but five times more expensive. It must be better. You know, like, I mean, no, that's not, some of you who are like Fiji fans are like, it's not the same. Anyway, I don't care. (laughs) <laughs> it's water. Water is water. Okay. So he says, go call your husband and come back. Now, this is a loaded thing to tell her to do because he knows she's been married five times. He's Jesus. He knows she's living with somebody that she's not supposed to be living with, who she's not married to. He's Jesus. He gets all of this. And he gives her this loaded thing like, yeah, okay, we can keep this conversation going. Let's talk as a family. Go get your husband. And she's like, hey about that. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus doesn't go, aha, sinner. Jesus gives her what I like to call a compliment sandwich. He finds common ground. He compliments her, then tells her the truth, then sticks another compliment at the other end. It's like right in the middle. You're like, oh, this white bread looks so good. What am I eating? What did you put on this, mom? You ever like have, my mom would run out of jelly sometimes, and she would just find something else. I have peanut butter and raisin sandwich more times than I'd like to admit. That is the chewiest bit of weirdness. It's almost like having a bunch of chewed up pieces of gum, but you could actually swallow them, that are all just like chewed gum just sitting around there, but they're the flavor of a prune. You know, it's like... What is a peanut butter and raisin sandwich even? Why? And sometimes she would send them, we ran out of bread, and she would send them the rice, the rice cakes, but not the flavored ones, the good ones with cinnamon or chocolate, just straight up rice cakes with peanut butter and jelly on them. Never had a peanut butter and raisin rice cake. I think I would have ran away. But <laughs> Jesus gives her this compliment sandwich. He says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, here's the truth. You've had five husbands, and the man that you're now with is not your husband. Then here's the the compliment. So what you said is quite true. See how Jesus did that? That was nice. You like swallow the truth pill, and it's with a spoonful of sugar. And it helps the medicine go down. Anyway, so like that's what he did. And so she gets, oh, he can't know this. There's no way. Jews don't talk to us. There's no way he can know this. Now, everybody in town knows it, but the Jews don't know this. So she realizes he's somebody more than just a water salesman. He's, he's somebody special. He might be a prophet. Her response is, sir, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worship. So she had this burning theological question she'd been holding on to. Now she ran into a prophet in her mind. So she asks him about this because she actually wants to know God, but she keeps messing up and not really following God. So she says, sir, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. She points at a mountain. But you Jews claimed that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. See, they wouldn't let the Samaritans come into the temple. So they had started worshiping God, the true God, on a mountain because they weren't allowed there. And they weren't, she wasn't sure if that would be enough. Can I even worship God outside of church? Can we even, I mean, like, pray outside of church? Like, You guys don't pray outside of church. I'm just kidding. We get that, but she didn't. She's like, I don't even know if we're doing the right thing. We're trying to do the right thing. And he said, woman, and this is not like it sounds today. It was actually a term of endearment. It'd be like ladies and gentlemen, when they'd say women. Um, It wasn't like woman. Um, So he says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans are worshiping what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews, not for the Jews, from the Jews. The Messiah was coming through the Jewish people to save everybody, everybody. That's why it wasn't just opened up to the shepherds who were Jewish, but wise men from the East came too. Like all the way from the Christmas story, it's revealed to us that God intended to save the Gentiles, which is including us in this room. It's for everybody. So he tells them, tells her, Time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So then the woman's like, oh, he's talking about the Messiah. Bingo, she got that. She says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus is like, you still don't get it. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Not I'm him. I am, which was the self existent one in the Old Testament. It's me. Bingo. When she gets there, she's like, oh, just then the disciples walk off. Like, we got the food. He's <laughs> talking to a Samaritan woman. That's their response. Just then, the disciples return and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? They would have asked that for her. Or, Why are you talking with her? They would have asked that for him. They just watched. Now, check out what she does. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. I think one of the most significant things that she does is leave her water pot. She had a lot of thirst that she was chasing. The whole element is about thirst. And in Hosea, what we just looked at, God is like, oh, I'm gonna make her thirsty for me. She's gonna chase all these other things, but she'll have to come back to me to get her true needs met. It's this parallel passage that goes along with the woman at the well. And Jesus is showing us up front, if I ran into somebody like that, if I ran into a modern day Gomer, a modern day in Jesus' day, but now 2,000 years old, but he would do the same thing today. Here's how I would treat her because I get that humanity is thirsty. And when we're thirsty, we need, can you read that from the front row? Water. I'm going to drink some now because it's part of the thing. Oh, that's so good. Did it make it? That's for free. All right. So we all have that thirst. Every one of you in here has a thirst that if you had to open your mouth, it would have been quenched slightly, but kind of gross. We all have that thirst. We've got to have water. Now we can substitute it with Mountain Dew. We can substitute it with root beer, Dr. Pepper. Yoo-hoo. This, you don't even know what it's called. She's just like this, a Sierra Mist. All right. Who likes the cranberry Sierra Mist that only comes out at Christmas? That's what I'm talking about right there. Are there cranberry ginger ale? Yeah. Or just cranberry? Bring me a cranberry Coke. I'm just kidding. They don't make that. All right. What? This is what we're all excited about. We know about beverages. Okay, anyway, so like we've got to have, no matter what it is that you're trying to quench your thirst with, We've got to come back to it again because I've never had a glass of water before that sounds like the living water, but for physicalness, like where people are like, oh, dude, we just finished this dodgeball thing. Everybody get some water. I don't need water. I had water when I was five. Now the human body can only go three days without water. You don't understand. Oh, no, I know, I do understand. You don't understand. This was special water from Jesus. It was amazing. It was good water. And I mean, like, spiritually, Jesus is talking about here, not physically. But we've got to come back to it. Now, the thirst that we have spiritually are not just actual water. So I've got other labels you may or may not be able to read from way back there. But there are all kinds of things that people chase in this world. Drugs is one of those things. I'm going to go ahead and throw alcohol out here with the same thing because basically the same little illustration. This lady wasn't chasing that. She was chasing men and approval and sex and all kinds of other stuff. But if we're chasing these things, and this isn't just a, like a dare thing, like a say no to drugs speech. I'm just saying there's never been somebody who's gotten high or gotten drunk who stayed that way permanently. Like, what's wrong with him? And he's just like, hey, man, what's wrong with him? Somebody gave him a hit from a joint 12 years ago. He's high as a kite! No, no, that's not how it works. You see, you've gotta go back to those things again and again to get the same feeling. And people who wake up and have like the worst, my neighbor, before we moved recently, was like always drunk. And he would complain in the mornings if things were loud, like, does everybody have to be bouncing the basketball here this early morning? With his eyes closed. like I'm thinking, dude, it's last night that is making you feel that way today. The feeling didn't stay. There were repercussions for the feeling. You have to go back to things again and again and again. It's not like living water. These are like very much like the well that the lady was drawing from that she would have to go back to again and again. Something else that we can run to, this is what she actually had a problem with. She was trying to be fulfilled by a guy. She was trying to be fulfilled through sex and she wasn't satisfied for that. She went to multiple guys over and over again, just like Gomer did in the book of Hosea. People today, uh, they didn't have this back then, but pornography is huge. As far as people looking at images of people, uncovered people, like scripture talks about over and over again, like let's not uncover the nakedness of other people, that's the thing for within marriage but we do that and you might think well isn't that better than just like going all the way with somebody am i still pure this and that that's not the issue is that what we what we're doing to our heart what we're doing to the way we treat other people and the way we look at other people we're objectifying people and making them less than the image of god that they actually are and this is something i've never heard of somebody who looked at pornography once and was like that's that's it that's all i did you know but i have sat in my office with men who are addicted to it, and who want help, and they feel like this is something that they have to go back to again and again. It becomes a thirst in their life, and one that we all struggle with approval. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting approval—the approval of our parents, you know, and so forth. Um, um, the Bible says in Second Timothy that we're to study to show ourselves approved to God. You know, like we want approval, but approval a lot of times this thirst, this drive for approval, leads us to do things we normally wouldn't do just so other people will like us. It could even get so bad that it can lead to just wanting fame for the sake of fame. There's a difference between like popularity and fame, by the way. Popularity, people actually like you. You can be famous and people not like you. Everybody in here has heard of Adolf Hitler. He's famous, but not popular. And he can lead us to do things for attention, they are out of the element, and it's it's not, well, you got everybody's attention once. The reason I was a bully, and I'm not gonna go into my testimony this morning, but the reason I was a bully in high school, middle school and high school, before I came to Christ, and was ruthless towards other kids, is because I got approval from it. Other people laughed at the jokes. Other people laughed at the other person's expense, and it kept me going. Now, they're not all sins. I'm not going to just keep pulling sins out of here. Some of us can chase relationships. It's just about having that girlfriend or boyfriend or having a lot of friends. I'm dealing with an issue with some seniors in my youth group right now where these two girls just aren't talking, and it's because one of them started dating somebody. It's not because that girl liked that boy too. It's because she feels like the boy is taking her best friend away. Ah, I can't do that when I'm counseling them, but I want to. I want to be like, get over it. Anyway, so I want to, but I don't. Because I love them and I'm their youth pastor. Anyway, so, I'm telling you and you have to keep it here. Relationships, we chase that stuff. We want that. We feel like we're, that if we don't have friends, then what is there to life? We chase money. And scripture talks about that a lot and the downfalls of that. We can take sports or even grades and make them like an idol, something we have to go back to. Well, how'd you do on the test? It doesn't really matter because, you know, in fourth grade I got 100 on something. No, no. You, if, if, if academic achievement is what you're chasing, you're going to have to go back to it again and again and again. And here's one that the church struggles with works. We go on missions trips, we try to help people, we try to do good things, and we get a good feeling about doing that. And we can go back to those things again because I haven't felt as good as I did when I was volunteering at the soup kitchen as I was when I was bringing some canned food to help somebody. Like we chase those feelings. They're all good things to do. But if we just, we, if we try to get through life off of one of those feelings, we won't be able to do it. God wants us to do good things. But when we mistake this for living water, and think that if I do good things, then God smiles at me and somehow I have a relationship with God, then we get it all backwards. See, the only works that we're saved through are the works of Jesus, the perfect life of Jesus and that he gave his life for us on the cross. So when somebody says, are you saved by works? You'd be like, yeah, but not mine. I'm saved through faith in the work of Christ on the cross. If we chase things, and it might not—your water bottle might be up here, or, they, or one of these might be yours. If we chase any of those things, I'm not saying they're not fulfilling, but I will tell you they're not fulfilling permanently. They will all make you a slave. They will all bring you back to them again and again. You'll have to keep drinking from them to get that same feeling, and the feeling won't be as good as it was before. And so you drink a little bit more of it, and you keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going. And Jesus says, "You don't have to. I've got living water." The same living water I offer to this woman at the well, I offered through the prophet Hosea to the nation of Israel, and I offer through Jesus Christ this living water to everyone here. You don't have to try to fulfill your life through other means. God is the one who designed us. He knows exactly what every need is in your life. He knows exactly who he designed you to be, and he's the only one who can truly fulfill us and set us off on the path that he has planned for us. Let me pray for you guys, and we're going to go straight into our small groups. Just get with the leader that you already know you have, hopefully, and they will take you somewhere on a journey into discussing what we've just talked about and a little bit about dog vomit. Uh, Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for each student here. Lord, I thank you for your living water. I thank you that you didn't just write chapter, have chapter two written of Hosea and then end it there, that there's more to the book, there's more coming, Lord, that you seek to redeem the ones who are wayward and who are lost. But God, everything that's good in life, that's truly good is from you. But Lord, I pray that students in here who may not have turned their life over to you, that they wouldn't leave this weekend without doing that. And God, that you would just shake us To our core, those of us who have, who have gone back to thirst that don't truly fulfill. That we'd be able to put those to the side and allow the living water you've given us to be all that we need. We thank you and praise you for what you're going to do in our small group time as we discuss and as we talk about what you're doing in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Live After Camp episode.